0: If you would turn with me to Philippians chapter three this morning, Philippians chapter three. Have you ever had someone do or say something, and you could not believe they said that? And I can't believe, or I can't believe I did that. But then afterwards, you thought about it for a moment. And you thought, I don't know why I was surprised they did that. That's the way they always behave. Have you ever had that before, where like I, I don't know why I am surprised, but I'm still surprised that they did that. I'm still shocked at that. Well. We, some of you know that a couple months ago we were having issues with our, our van. We had to take it to the dealership to get it worked on. And they had it for approximately six weeks. And uh, the first two to three weeks they did not supply us with a replacement vehicle. And so and I, my car seats five, we have a family of six. So that created cr- quite a struggle logistically. I finally convinced them to to give us a rental vehicle. And then what happened was the rental vehicle was newer than our van and had a lot more bells and whistles than our van did, all kinds of gadgets and things to play with and buttons to push. And so my kids were saying, can we just keep this van? Like, Do we have to give this van back and get our old van? And, and I understood in part, but I was starting to remember that because the van that we have is only, at the, is only about three and a half Is that right, three and a half? No, it's six and a half years, but we've only had it about three years, uh, three and a half years. And I remember when we got it, uh, I remember the kids getting into that van and saying, this is so cooler. It's so much cooler than our van that we have now. And I'm so glad we're getting this. And it had some extra things that the other one did not. And so they were so excited about the van. And then I was thinking, what happened? That was only three and a half years ago. Why are they now like... Get rid of this van. I don't want this van anymore. When before, they thought it was great. And and I was kind of struggling with like, hey, you guys should be grateful. I work hard to manage the money that we actually could afford to take care of that. Uh, But nonetheless, I I understand it because that's the way it is with new things, right? Have you ever gotten a new thing? You know, like when you get a new vehicle and you're excited about it, and and maybe it's old uh, to others, but it's new to you and you're excited about it. And within a couple years, don't you hate how... When you buy it, somebody detailed it for you. And then after a couple of years, it's no longer detailed. <laughs> you know, it felt great when you first got it, and now it's not so great. Uh, and you don't want to be ungrateful, but it's, you know, it's just not new. Or you buy a new house or you get into a new apartment, and you love it at first, and then after a while, it's not so great anymore. Or you buy a new outfit, and the first time you wear it, you're like, this feels great, I love this outfit, I look good in this outfit. And then after a few months, this old thing again? You know, because things get old and as they get old, we just don't seem to enjoy them as much as we used to. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember when you first came to know Christ, or when you first began to get serious about your faith. Or when you first you just got it. You understood it before you didn't, but now you get it and and, it, and there was something that happened in that moment, right, because there were a lot of things that were new to us at that time, where, where now we've been following the Lord for long enough that all of a sudden it's like that car, or it's like that outfit, or it's like that house. For some reason, and it shouldn't be this way, it got old. And we show that by our behavior at times. Because do you you remember that? Anybody remember when you first got saved or when you first really got touched by the Lord or first really got serious about the Lord? Do you remember your behavior then? You were like, nobody had to convince you to read your Bible. You know, nobody had to hold you accountable and say, will you please read your Bible? You wanted to read it all the time. Just I just remember the hours a day. Just I just want to see what's it saying. What, what do I need to do? I want to learn. How do I please God? I wanted to read it all the time. Or nobody had to convince us to pray, right? They didn't have to say, you should spend some time. Nobody had to say that. We just did. And we did it not because we were like, I got to make my make myself pray today. It was We wanted to pray. Every time the doors were open, we wanted to be in the church. Oh, there's a janitor there cleaning it up the doors are open I want to be there someone's inside I want to go to the church we wanted to go all the time if there was ministry opportunities we wanted to serve if there was a way to give we wanted to give if uh, if there was opportunity to share our faith in fact we didn't wait for opportunities to share our faith did we we were looking for ways to just we want to tell people what Jesus was doing in our lives what happened to us what happened to that kind of faith It got old. Like that car, like that outfit, like that when you first get married, that person's amazing. Twenty years later, oh him again. Because it got old. And there's a thing that happens, it's a if you ever, you know how they say there's corny dad jokes, you know, people say corny jokes. I'm not gonna name any names. <laughs> but there's a joke when new year's comes that when you're heading into new year's and you know that even if it's new year's eve and you know you're not going to see that person till tomorrow people will say see you next year right they'll say see you next year or if it's like you know it's been a couple you know I'm not going to see them for a couple weeks and by the time I see them it'll be the new year so you say see them next year and and people like laugh like this <laughs> Well, my my daughter figured out that joke this year, and she started saying it, see you next year. But I don't know if she got it quite yet or or something, but she's still saying it today. She'll say goodbye, see you next year. We're almost in March, okay? And so that joke's starting to get a little old. (laughs) It's not as funny as it was before, because it's getting old. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, as much as we would not like to admit it, it got old. It doesn't have the same luster. It doesn't have the same excitement. It doesn't have the same passion. We don't have the same drive. It seems like we have to drag ourselves to do the things we once used to do with such ease. What happened to our passion? In fact, Jesus confronted one of the churches in Revelation over this issue. In Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5, he says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love, that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I think sometimes we justify ourselves because, yeah, when I first got saved, you know, I was new to it and I didn't know how to I didn't know how to temper myself, or I didn't know how to to balance those things out. And so I was just a little young and foolish then, and that's why I got overzealous. And and now I figured some things out, and so now I'm more mature now than I was then. But the curious thing is Jesus said, did you hear what he said? He said, do the works you did at first. That when we first have that igniting of our faith, the things that we did then, those are the things that he intended for us to continue in. But we've lost it somewhere along the way. How do we get it back? How do we reignite that flame that we once had years, maybe even decades ago? Well, Paul in Philippians 3, in verse 10 and 11, he gives us the concept of what what he's framing this passage around. And I read it earlier when we started the service. He says this, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That I may know Christ. So he writes all of these things in this passage. Why? That I might know Christ. That I might have the zealous passion for Jesus Christ. So then what is it that he wrote to us? What are the things, what are the steps that we need to be taking in our lives that will reignite this passion that we once had? Well, first in verse 7, verse 7 and following, 7 and 8, Paul says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So even if this thing adds value to my life, even if this thing is good, even if I like this thing, whatever thing was gained to me, I count as loss For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. The first step we need to take is we need to embrace loss. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13 of a sower who was sowing seed along the ground. And he told a story about the different ways that that seed took root for a time, and then its energy got lost. It began to fade away, and there were different reasons why that was. One of the reasons was the cares of this world came in and choked out the effectiveness of the work that God began into their lives. And this is what happens to us. We come to know Christ, and we don't don't care, you know? Like, We're we're okay if we're broke. We're okay if nobody likes us. You know, that doesn't bother us. And we don't care if we're losing time. We we don't need to watch our favorite TV shows. We don't need to rest. Who needs sleep? Do you remember staying up all night at prayer nights before? Have, Have you ever been a part of those? Okay. We didn't care about any of that stuff because we just wanted Jesus. And then at some point we realized, I need some money. I got some bills to pay, and I need to take care of these things. And then we realized that we were lonely. Then we realized we had needs. Then we realized that there were other things that were going on in life that we needed to tend to. And it's not that we don't need to tend to those things, but what happens is we get distracted and we get so focused on taking care of our earthly life that we lose our passion because we're so concerned about making sure that everything's okay here. We lost sight of Jesus. It was no longer Jesus we wanted. We wanted a paycheck, and we wanted healing, and we wanted company. We wanted other things. And we have to, if we're going to get that passion back, we have to embrace loss again. We have to be willing to lose sleep sometimes, to lose our favorite things, to lose maybe some money at times. Remember when you first got passionate about Christ? And someone said we have this missionary need and, and give to that. When we first came to know Christ, we were like, take it all. You know, and then then after we got a little older, we were like, well, let me check my bank account. I'm not really sure about that. Uh, or, you know what's funny? I remember when I first came to know Christ, it was about eight months later I found myself in Bible college because I got saved at 18. And I remember going to church services or going to chapel and they were singing songs. And I, I just was so excited to worship God. It didn't matter what song we were singing. And I remember people around me saying, oh, this song again. I can't believe we're singing this song again. And that song, that song's so old. And this has a bad style. And, and I just, like, I didn't understand it because I just was like, aren't we just singing the Jesus Until we get older, until we do this more, and it gets old. And we have to learn how to embrace loss. Be willing to, whatever was gained to me, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. So how do we do that? Well, you may remember in Matthew 6, Jesus said the idea, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he shares with us some series of principles before he makes that statement, Matthew 6, on how to embrace loss the things that we need to sacrifice first we need to sacrifice our desires the things that we want in fact in verse 19 to 21 he talks about that we should not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy where thieves break in and steal and have you ever had stuff that you were I mean we just talked about this old and new have you ever had stuff before that you were so excited about and then you didn't care about it much anymore that Christmas gift that you got two months ago, where is it now? <laughs> the things that we just really, really had to have, we really, really wanted, at some point, it doesn't matter anymore. Because most of the things that we pursue in this earth of life, at some point, it loses its luster. It doesn't last, the things that we live for. And so we should ask, because Jesus is the only one that will last. And we should ask ourselves, why should I sacrifice so much? Why should I push so hard? Why should I give so much time and attention to this thing that in a year from now I won't care about anymore? And so we need to remind ourselves, this thing that I want so badly, that I'm doing everything to pursue, this won't last. Verse 22 and 23 of Matthew 6, he talks about uh, that there is this darkness within us, and if there's darkness, how great is that darkness? That And darkness is an analogy, or it's figuratively speaking, of, of blindness or not being able to see things clearly. And what happens sometimes is we need to realize when we want things, we don't usually see clearly. So think about the person who wants a better job, a better income, and they're focused on their work, and they're focused on their career, and they're focused on earning a living, and they're focused on that. Those people, a lot of times when they become so focused on that, they forget their family. They neglect their family relationships, and at some point they're wondering why their family relationships aren't so good. Or some people get so focused on, I've got to take care of my family relationships, I've got to nurture these family relationships, that so they forget that at some point they no longer have the ability to provide for their family because they're not taking care of their working life and their finances. And anytime we get focused on something, we have a hard time seeing the things that are around us. Do you know magicians? Do you know how they do their magic tricks? Slide of hand, yes, but there's another thing they do. Have you ever wondered why the pretty ladies are always roaming around on a stage? Yeah, they're not on there because, so we've got to raise the male viewership here. That's not why they're there. They're there because they know that, and they wear shiny, uh, gl- glittery-type dresses and stuff. It's because you, your eye, it's hard for you to focus on the magician and the lady. And when you look at the lady, you miss the, the, the trick that he just did to make it seem like it disappeared. That's our passion, is when we get focused on any one thing, we forget the other things. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I really seeing things clearly? Is this thing that I want so badly, is it really worth my pursuit? Or, Jesus said in verse 24 of Matthew 6, that we cannot serve both God and money. We either be a slave to one or a slave to the other. The other issue is that our passions, they compete with God. And we might think, well, listen, me me binge-watching my favorite TV show on Netflix has not made me stop believing in Jesus Christ. That might be so, but is it getting away of our prayer life? Is it getting in the way of our ability to study God's Word? Is it getting in the way of our ability to be involved in Christian fellowship and ministry and things like that? Are the things that we're pursuing, whether it's work whether it's relationships, whether it's taking care of ourselves, whatever it is, any of our desires have a way of consuming all of our time where we no longer have time to seek the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves, all the stuff I did this week, did you know that you had seven days this week just like me? Did you know that? And I did something with my time. Was it worth anything? All the stuff that I did this week, was it worth anything? I'm chasing after it, I have to have it, I need it, did it do anything? Did it have any value? And even if it did, what did Paul say? Whatever was gained to me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I have to get back to be willing to whatever might be valuable to me. If it's getting in the way of me seeking Christ, I'm going to let it go. But sometimes it's not just our desires, sometimes it's our fears, the reason why we're driven to get things taken care of and to have things is because we're afraid that of what's going to happen if I don't have this. We're fearful. And we need to know something about our fears if we're going to get rid of these things that we're afraid of, that we're panicked about. First is just like our desires, Jesus said in verse 25, Is not life worth more than fill in the blank?" Verse 27, which of you can, by being anxious, add a single hour to his span of life? Or verse 30, "Today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire." Anything we're afraid of, it will not last. Even if we're afraid of dying, that's not going to last. Do you know that? Dying is just for a moment, and then it's over. And but how much time do we spend worrying about dying? Even if we're struggling financially, it's only going to last so long, right? I mean, all of us, as far as I can tell, are still eating food somewhere, okay? And yet, we're always worried about things, and we need to remind ourselves this. Even if someone's upset with us, anybody have somebody upset with you right now? And it's just eating you alive, okay? That's not going to always last. It won't always be there. It will go away at some point, even if it has to take till the end of my life. At some point, every bit of it. My knee issues, right, Molly? My knee issues, my back issues, my hip issues, my, like any other, anybody ever feel like I could just list every part of my body? When the doctor says, what's wrong with you? Well, let me just, you know the anatomy, right? It's all of it. Uh, But my financial issues, all of my problems, they will not last. And so instead of being so consumed with being afraid of them, I need to remind myself, this is going to end at some point. I also need to remind myself that, verse 26, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 30, will he not much more clothe you? Verse 33, all these things will be added to to you. We have to also remember that our fear has a tendency to exaggerate. Do you know how many times I've driven through Fort Pitt Tuttle and how many times I've driven to it and thought, what would happen if this thing collapsed on me right now? Like it's holding up a mountain, you know? You're driving under a mountain that has a hole in it and you're underneath of it. Or how many times I've driven over a bridge, especially certain land bridges. Water I'm a little bit okay with because hopefully I can get out of the car and swim. But those real high bridges that are way over top of concrete, there's no give there at that concrete. And I drive over and I think, what if this bridge collapses? And do bridges collapse sometimes? Yes. yes. Do tunnels collapse sometimes? Yes, that is a possibility. Do you know how many times I've driven over those bridges and it never happened? And my worrying did nothing about the bridge, or the tunnel, and how many things do we worry about that never happens? Most of the time, our fears are driven by things that never come to us. They never happen, but we spend so much time, so much energy. We search the internet for hours on end trying to find answers for things that never happen to us, and all that time gets lost That we could have been spent pursuing and seeking the Lord and seeking his will for our lives. But we become consumed by our desires and by our fears. And we become just like the seed that was sown on the ground that the cares of this world choked it out. Are we allowing the cares of this world to choke out our passion for Jesus Christ? At the end of each step there, I have a question for you to reflect on throughout this week. What will be my sacrifice so that I can seek him? What will it be that I will sacrifice so that I can begin to seek him as I should? Then verse 9, Paul says this, It may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. We need to remember that we depend upon him. Sometimes we forget that that we desperately, desperately, desperately need Jesus in our lives. Did you know that? Tomorrow, when we leave this place and go about our lives, and tomorrow we go back to work or start dealing with our families, tomorrow we desperately need Jesus to be there with us. Every single moment we need Jesus, but we forget that. In fact, one of the, parable, one of the parts of the parable of the sower, the reason why the ineffectiveness or the effectiveness went away was because Uh, because of the persecution that came, because they encountered challenges. And it's interesting, because our struggles in our lives, they they can go either direction. They split different ways. Jesus in in that was focusing on if we have trouble, we run. We don't seek Him. We don't depend upon Him. But sometimes that happens when we don't have trouble. You know, we often tell God we don't want to struggle. But when we struggle, we think, I got it all covered. When everything's fine, we think it's all right, you know. I don't need to pray because I don't feel desperate to pray. I don't need to study the Word because I don't feel desperate for answers because I have it all covered. That's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to be saved because when they have all that they need, they don't have this realization that they desperately need Jesus. But the same happens when the challenges come for some reason. We would think that the challenges would make us run to Jesus But sometimes what the challenges do is either we decide, I'm going to buck up here, and I'm going to tackle this thing, and I'm going to get control of this. Have you ever said those words, I'm going to get control of this? And listen, there's the right way about this and the wrong way about this looks the same. Because as we've been talking about instability, we are called to do things, right? We're not called to just be defeated and not do things. We're called to tackle our issues and take care of things. But the person who's doing it wrong missed a step. That person decided that they were going to take care of it under their own strength, and they didn't first start with, Lord, I need you desperately to resolve this. I can't figure this out on my own. I don't have the strength to do this. Give me the wisdom. Give me the power to do this. And then they go and tackle it. But some of us think we have to just work harder, and we have to figure this out, and we don't, in our challenge, in our difficulty, we don't turn to the Lord because we don't realize, I need him. Or some of us, we decide to run from it. Right? I'm just going to get out of here. I just got to find a way to get rid of this issue. I just need to run from it, get as far away from it as I can. And we're not running to anything. We're just running from something rather than running to Jesus Christ. Rather than saying, okay, I have this problem. I'm not going to run to it from it. I'm going to run to Jesus. Or some of us collapse. Anybody have the deer in headlights scenario? Have you ever had something unfold before your eyes and you're just like frozen? I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do. And maybe for days sometimes. I mean, you're just not just standing there in space or nothing. But like for days, I'm doing nothing. I just don't know. Maybe I'm sleeping more because I don't know what to do here. And we collapse before our issues. And that's not the answer. We need to realize at this moment, this difficulty, this challenge is reminding me I need Jesus. And I need to remember that I need that all the time, whether it's going well or whether it's going poorly. I need Jesus, and I need to remind myself that I have a need, and that plays itself out in different ways. Uh, I need, in Luke 6, he talks about this, that a student is not above his teacher, that we need each other. And when he talks about the plank and the speck scenario, the result is we need to seek each other out. I need to take my plank out so I can take the speck out. We need each other in our lives. The way the Lord works in us is in our pursuit of each other or in our pursuit of Him, or in our pursuit of obedience. What is the person who builds his house on the rock? What is he doing? The person who obeys my words and keeps my commandments, Jesus said. I need obedience. I'm not obeying just because I want to please the Lord, which that is in there. But we need to obey because we need to obey Him. Because just like a plant needs soil, and needs water, and needs sunlight, I need to be in God's house. I need to be seeking Him. I need to study His Word. I need to know those things. I need Christian fellowship. I need that. And sometimes we need to do the, the slap in the back of the head to ourselves and remind ourselves, listen, get your act together. You need Jesus. I mean, we're out there preaching to other people that they need Jesus, but we forgot to tell ourselves, I need Jesus And we've lost our flame because we forgot exactly how much we need Him. Then in in the parable of the sower, the third reason why the seed gets ineffective is a lack of understanding the, the nature of this kingdom. And I think part of that nature is Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1 that we need to supplement our faith. And the supplementing is with various characteristics and character traits. That it's not just believing, but I need to make sure that I'm always adding to what's happening here. Or verse 10, he says, we need to be diligent to pursue this faith. Or verse 13, I need to stir up reminders, uh, reminding myself, just like we said with the need thing, I need to remind myself of things. Because I think what happens sometimes, the reason why we get complacent, is at some point we think we made it. You know, like I, I know I used to be a mess, but I met Jesus, and he resolved some things, and I'm not a mess anymore. And we get to a place where there are certain sin issues that we had before we came to know Christ, and those aren't an issue any, anymore. We were, the sky was falling before it. We met Jesus, and he resi- resolved things, and the sky isn't falling anymore. We're praying regularly. We're studying the Bible regularly. We're involved in, in, in the church and in ministry, and so we got things together, and we think, I'm good now. I'm good. And that actually directly contradicts what Paul says in Philippians 3. You know what he says? Verse 12, listen to this. Not that I have already obtained it, or I'm already perfect. So he says, I'm not there yet. Paul, the Apostle Paul, okay? Does anybody think that we have a resume that can compete with the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul who was transforming the Roman Empire by the declaration of the gospel. He said, I have not already obtained it yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul realized that this faith until we get to the other side, it's never finished. It's never complete. We need to keep growing and keep growing. And you might have been on the board. You might have been involved in church leadership. You might have led a bunch of people to Christ. You might be super holy and all of that. You might be, have been serving Christ for 40 years, 50 years. Anybody been serving Christ for 50 years? Okay. You've not even been alive for 50 years. I don't know what you're talking about. Joyce, how long have you been following Christ? 12 and you're what 32 right now? <laughs> 12 and you're 80. 86. 12. So do the math. 70, 74 years. Do you still need to grow? Okay? Serving Christ for 74 years and still needs to grow. We need to remind ourselves that there's still more for me. If I'm alive, there's still more for me. I'm not complete yet. Because if the Apostle Paul can say, I have not yet arrived yet. And he didn't say, I didn't arrive yet, so I'm waiting until I die. He said, no, I didn't yet arrive yet, so I press on towards the goal. And the reason why, when we when we came to know Christ, we knew that, right? We knew, I'm a mess, there are a lot of problems, these things need to get right. We knew that then, that's why we pursued things with a passion. But when they started getting resolved to some degree, we forgot that, that we still desperately need Jesus and we still need to grow. We need to remind ourselves of these things. And lastly, we need to take ownership of our faith. Paul says this in Philippians 3, and we just read it. He says, But I press on, in verse 12, to make it my own. That this is my faith in Christ. It's not somebody else's. It's not dependent on somebody else. I have faith in Jesus Christ. I don't have to wait for someone else to get passionate or excited. I have my own faith in Jesus Christ. And many people, when when the world around us gets apathetic and other people begin to bail on a passion for Christ and other people begin to wane, we blame it on them. We just kind of follow them and say, well, there's nobody else that's excited. But we need to decide that I'm going to make this faith of mine my own. And how do we do that? Well, Romans 12 talks about the zeal that we need to have. And there's different ways that we do that. We pursue love. We regulate our influences. Some of us need to realize that some of the stuff that we're watching on our phone, it might be well and good and fine, but some of it is zapping every bit of our passion, every bit of our ability to get stimulated. Some of us can't get stimulated in prayer because we've been become a zombie, because of the screen that's constantly in front of us. Uh, my kids, I'm always amazed how like, just for like 10 minutes, no activity, you would think the world's falling apart. 10 minutes with no screens and 10 minutes without like some kind of entertainment happening, I'm going to die. Send me to the ER, please. And we do this to ourselves also. The reason why we can't be still before the Lord, the reason why the Bible doesn't leap off the pages is because we've overstimulated ourselves. And we're so focused on not sinning that we forgot that we need to make sure that we cultivate and nurture an ability to be satisfied with the pursuit of Jesus Christ. So maybe some of us need to fast, not food, but fast our stimulation. And that doesn't just mean the phone. It means the, the audio, audio stuff that's going around us all the time. Some of us need to de-what do you want to call that? Uh, I don't know, de-whatever, get, get that stuff out of us. We need to focus on serving the Lord and others, maintaining optimism. I need to believe that Jesus Christ can work in me even when it just fell apart just a moment ago. I mean, how many, and we sang that song. Uh, Bonnie, are you up there at the moment? That first song, can you put that, that, that's not Bonnie's hand. I saw Bonnie stand up and I saw a hand five feet away from her. <laughs> I know her arms aren't that long. This, this song, I Know Who I Am, go to the next slide. Uh, next slide. It's always the eighth slide. Uh, next slide. Next <laughs> slide. Uh, I was broken, and you healed me. I was dying, and you gave me life. Lord, you are my identity. How many of us, when we were feeling down, we just kind of lose it, and we think, well, I messed up, so now I'm a complete failure. Nothing good can now happen. And we lose all faith, and we have the inability to move forward. And we have to learn to be able to maintain a level of optimism or faith that even though it just fell apart, it's not going to fall apart now. Even though it just fell apart again, it's not going to fall apart now. And I have to have this drive, and I have to constantly pray, constantly pray. Five minutes in the morning is not enough. Thirty minutes in the morning is not enough. An hour in the morning is not enough. Two hours. You might say, well, how long am I supposed to pray? What did Paul say? Pray without ceasing. Ceasing. Now, it's good to start the day with a fixed amount of time to pray to make sure we are praying. But I need to, throughout the day, I need to pause at various points and say, Lord, help me, help me. Even when things are, are going great, I need to, help me, Lord. Help me through this, praying constantly. And I'll tell you what, if you decide to cut certain things out of your life, even if they're not sin, if we decide to stimulate certain things in our faith, and we decide to seek him passionately, remind ourselves of certain things, we might start to see something start to change in our outlook before the Lord. But there was a king. Who was the youngest king in the Bible? Many people think Josiah... Josiah was eight years old when he became king. But there was a king who was actually one year younger when he became king. It was King Joash. And in 2 Chronicles 24, we get a story of King Joash. He came, became king at seven. And at the time, there was a very influential uh, priest named Jehoiada. And he was very faithful to the Lord. And he, he sowed into Joash's life. And Joash was one of, the, one of the most righteous kings. He loved the Lord. He was passionate about the Lord. He made reforms and changes within the Judah society. And he led Judah in the passionate pursuit of the Lord. And he was just zealous for the Lord. And then one day Jehoiada uh, died. And do you know what happened to Joash's faith? He fell apart. He turned to idolatry. He led the whole nation back into paganism and idolatry, and he stopped following the Lord. And the only thing that changed, Jehoiada, was gone. And so many of us, we're only passionate if Jehoiada is there. And we might say, well, I don't even know Jehoiada. Well, I think we do know him. Because some of us, we're only passionate and excited to worship the Lord when we're in a crowd that is all excited and passionate to worship the Lord. We're waiting for someone else to get excited. Or some of us, we're only passionate in following the Lord when there's somebody else uh, mentoring us and coaching us and urging us on. And listen, we need to lean on each other and we need that and we should pursue that. But if my faith is always built upon somebody else's passion, somebody else's drive, somebody else pulling me along, Or some other experience. Listen, if I'm only passionate when I'm in Bethel of the 90s. When there's 300 people here. And there's a lot of ministries and a lot of programs and a lot of mature believers. And that's when I'm passionate. And then when it's gone, I'm not. I lost my faith. Why? Because Jehoiada is gone. What is my Jehoiada? Is it my health? As long as I'm healthy physically and everything's going okay and it's my circumstances, then I'll praise God and then I'll be excited to serve Him? Is it when I witness to people and they respond favorably and there's no resistance, then that's when I have faith to do the things that He's called me to do? Or is it no matter what? Because if I take the circumstances gone, where's Jehoiada? I lost my faith. Do you have your own faith this morning? Or do you need somebody else to pull you along? Will you stand with me, worship team? Will you come and prepare to lead us? Why is it that the zeal I once had, and listen, some of you are newer to this and you're wondering, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't, I don't have a lot, lack for zeal. That's because you're new in it. But I bet that most of us here today we're not like we were two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago wasn't it fun? Don't you remember that? Wasn't it fun to live for Jesus when we were fired up for him? Don't we want to get that passion back? But why is it that your passion is gone? Jesus says, remember your first love. Do the things you did at first. What is it? Is it that I've lost my Jehoiada? Is it that the cares of this world and the pressures of this life began to push it out? And I got consumed by that? My anxieties and my fears, I find myself chasing after resolving this problem and that problem, and I forgot to seek Jesus. Is it because of, of an unwillingness to sacrifice? I want these things in my life. I want Jesus and. And as long as I have these things, I'm good. But if not, I want these things. Are we willing to give up anything? Paul says, whatever was gained to me. I counted all things as loss for the sake of Christ. Where is our faith? And this morning I asked the worship team to lead us in a song, and, and it's an old song. And we can either choose to be someone who's been following, the, following Christ for years and say, well, that's an old song that doesn't get me fired up or that has an old style to it. Or we can think about the call The cry of the heart of the words of this song. And as they lead us, do you want to get your passion back? Do you want to get your faith back? Do you remember when you first came to know Christ, you didn't need much of a push to come to this altar, did you? You would come every single time someone said, will you come to this altar? Yes, I don't have that issue, but I want to come to the altar because I want to seek Him. Waiting here for you is a fire that's ready to burst into flames again into your life if we're willing to surrender to him. So as they lead us, will you come and seek him and get your fire back? Another statement that Jesus says to the churches in Revelation is he says that he comes and knocks on the door of our hearts. And he says he enters into anybody who opens that door. And so all we need is a willingness to let him in. The loss of that fire or the loss of that zeal or that drive, that commitment. It has nothing to do with him. He wants to come in. That apathy, that the lack of the sense of his presence in our lives, it has nothing to do with him. God is present everywhere. He is always there. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. We're just not always open to receive the work of the Spirit in his life, in our lives. And so, would you now, in your own words, invite him in, Lord. Invite him in. Ask him to send that fire to you. Ask him to come in. Say, Lord, light the fire in me. Lord, stir that up, Lord. Lord, fill me afresh again, Lord. Fill me afresh, Lord. Lord, help me not to crumble under the weight of the pressure of the things of this world. Lord, help me not to be crippled by my anxiety. Lord, help me not to run from my problems. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, not to be one who loses the work of the Word of God. Help me, Lord. I've lost my Jehoiada, but help me, Lord, not to lose my faith. Help me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. This needs to be the cry of our heart, not just now, in this moment. The person who remains in fi- on fire for the Lord is the person who's always in this position, always seeking Him. And listen, if we fall flat on our face and we struggle for a time, let's get back to this. Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Fill me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so this absolute surrender to him, I know we think we've got it figured out. I know we think that we can regain some of our time by if I you know, miss church here, if I pull out of this ministry, if I save time in the morning by not reading my word. I know that we think we're making it better. But we need to decide that I need him. I need him. I need him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. We need him. So the question is, again... This revival that some of us say we desperately want. All it takes is one flame. All it takes is one flame to begin to get on fire. And the whole world can catch fire. I mean, we've seen it in the natural, right? In California, it just takes a small fire and all of a sudden it's weeks that they can't figure out how to contain that fire because of one little but we're that dry forest waiting for somebody else, waiting for somebody else to do it, and here is the Lord wanting to start with you, and so when we come in on Sunday morning, we come in and say, you know what, I don't care if there's three people here, I don't care if nobody else is excited, I'm going to be passionately seeking Him this morning, I don't care if everybody around me is falling asleep while Pastor Danny's preaching, I'm going to get on fire for the Word of God. I don't care if nobody else will help with that ministry. I'm going to help with that ministry. I don't care if nobody else is witnessing to people. I'm going to witness to others. We need to decide that we're not going to rely on Jehoiada anymore. He's gone. We are going to have that faith all of our own. Do you want that? It's not going to come easy. It's not going to come cheap. We're going to have to learn to lose. What did Jesus say? He who wants to find his life will lose it, but he who is willing to lose his life for my sake will gain it. Are we willing to lose everything so that we have Jesus? Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us, Lord, that when everything's falling apart around us, we don't lose sight of you. Help us that when we've failed in that way and we've struggled, that we don't forget to turn our eyes right back to you. Help us, Lord, to be passionate for you in a world that's grown cold, in a world that's grown dark, and many churches are declining and struggling. Help us to decide that we are going to have a faith all of our own. That forgetting what lies behind We will press on to what lies ahead. So as we pursue the mission, Lord, as we do outreach next week, as we build the one-to-one ministry, as we do other things, Lord, help us to not grow tired and weary of doing good, but help us to have that fiery zeal to press on. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we connect with others. We do that why? So that we can help them develop in their faith. And we do that why? So that we thrive. This is how we thrive, by pushing into everything that God wants us to do. Amen? I love you guys. God bless you. See you next Sunday.